and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. So today, if you have your Bibles with you, which I'm hoping you do, you should have your Bibles with you every week, open them up to 1 Kings chapter 18. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, what's interesting is Pastor Mark spoke out of 1 Kings chapter 17. And so what you may have heard there a couple of weeks ago, you're going to hear a little bit of the same story today, but most of our time is going to be spent in 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll be kind of be referencing it, um, re- referencing chapter 17 just a little bit. Um, and so you can almost consider this like a part two, a continuation of what Pastor Mark communicated uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so as you're turning there, as you're turning to 1 Kings chapter 18, I want to give you the theme of today's message. I'm going to give you two right, right up front. The theme of today's message is this, above anything else in your life, above anything in your life, God wants to be number one. God wants to be first in your life. And catch this though, and he doesn't want anything to even be a close second. God wants to be first in your life. In fact, if you remember, if the commandment, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was his response? Above all else, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Above all else, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And Satan, our spiritual enemy, since the beginning of time, since his fall, He has been trying to take the hearts of the people away from God, and he's been trying to get us to worship and serve false gods. He even tried to do it to Jesus himself in the desert, right? In the wilderness, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, the second temptation was, bow down before me, and I will give it all to you. Actually, it might have been the third one. But he asked Jesus to bow down to Satan. Satan has been trying to deceive the world and bring us to a point where we worship and serve false gods. And that is called idolatry. Idolatry. And so if you're taking notes today, here's the key thought for today. I gave you the theme, which is put God, God wants to be first in your life. But here's the key thought from that. False gods promise what only the one true God can provide. False gods promise what only the one true God can provide. So let me give you a couple of examples. First example, relationships. Relationships are a popular false God within our culture today. Relationships promise what only God can provide. We will lean into people, we will trust people, and we rely on people in situations And in trials, and what can happen? They will fail us, and we will feel left abandoned and alone. But what's God's word say? Scripture tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. But yet we lean into people for that. Again, relationships promise what only God can provide. Money. Money says, if you have enough money, then you'll be happy, you'll be secure, you'll have everything that you need. But in reality, 
when that report comes back from the doctor and he says you have cancer and you have 30 days to live, you realize it doesn't matter how much stuff you have, how much money you have. It's a false promise. False gods, whatever they are, they promise you things that only God can provide. And so today we're going to look at a couple of stories from the life of Elijah. And our main focus, again, is going to be from 1 Kings chapter 18. Because if there was ever a time when people were worshiping and serving false gods, it was during this time of Elijah. Now I'm going to kind of sidestep here for just a second and tell you, normally my style is to teach a little more than preach. And I'm going to teach a little bit today, but I'm going to switch it up on you just a little bit. I'm going to preach at you a little bit today. You guys okay with that? All right. So if there was ever a time, like I said, when people were worshiping and serving false gods, it was during the time of Elijah. So God calls Elijah to confront the king, whose name was Ahab. And Ahab was an evil king in the northern kingdom of Israel. Scripture tells us that he was the 19th consecutive evil king in Israel. And scripture also tells us that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone before him. Could you imagine having that reputation to be in the most evil king of God's people? And the people of Israel, God's people, they were no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And a lot of the reason that they had fallen into the state of idolatry, it actually goes back to the king, back to Ahab. See, Ahab was this weak, easily manipulated, godless man. And he marries this Phoenician woman named Jezebel. How many of you have all heard the name Jezebel? You've probably, most of you have heard that name. And he makes her queen by marriage. And she becomes this power, this real power behind the throne. And to get a clear picture of what she is actually doing, you can go through and read through the Old Testament, read through her story, but really we get a summary in, in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, this is to, in the letter to the church of Thyatira. And Jesus says this, But I have this against you, against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants, listen, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. To that church in Thyatira, Jesus was telling them that they were following a person within the church that was doing the same things that Jezebel was doing in Elijah's day. So we get this clear picture of what Jezebel is doing. And so you have this evil king with an even worse wife, and they have led God's people into this worshiping of false gods and idolatry. And these false gods, they promise things like, if you'll worship me, your crops will grow. Or worship me, and I will make your life better. That's what these false gods were promising. And so God raises up Elijah, who's going to confront the king. And this is where we're going to get into kind of what Pastor Mark hit in on a couple of weeks ago. Elijah tells the king, because of your idolatry, God sent me to tell you that it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and ask it to rain. So we have this major drought. It's famine. It's people are dying. It is the worst possible thing you can imagine for the people of Israel at this time. And King Ahab 
he is blaming Elijah and he gets mad. And so he wants to kill Elijah. And so God is going to send Elijah into this season of hiding and preparation. And God sends Elijah to a place called the Kareth Ravine. And this word Kareth, the word Kareth in the Kareth Ravine, it means a place of cutting or cutting away. It is a place of humbling where God begins to develop Elijah into the man that God wants him to be. And some of you, you may find yourself in this similar season where it feels lonely. You feel isolated, like God has pulled you back for a season. Embrace it. I'm telling you, embrace the season. God has put you there so that he can shape you and mold you into who he wants you to be. And just as Elijah's in this place of cutting, this Kareth ravine, and God is cutting him, not physically, right, like we hear of today, but he's cutting his heart. He's cutting him spiritually, and he's shaping and molding his heart to prepare Elijah for what God has next for him. And during this time, it's during this time where God is meeting every single one of Elijah's needs. He's feeding him daily through ravens, and he's got this brook of water the stream of water where he gets water to drink. But one day, that brook dries up. And so now Elijah has a choice. He can stay at the point where God had been meeting his needs and his sources dried up, or he can obey God and go next where God has him to go. Well, in the moment, when you read the story, Elijah gets mad. And that's a whole nother sermon on its own. We won't go there today. But what does Elijah eventually do? He obeys God and he goes to a place called Zarephath. And in Zarephath, there's this widow. You guys maybe remember part of this when Pastor Mark talked about it a couple of weeks ago. And now God is using this widow to provide and meet the needs of Elijah. And think about this, catch this. In the wilderness, in the midst of a drought, in the midst of famine, and in the home of a widow, God is meeting every single one of Elijah's needs. God can meet your needs even in the midst of uncertain circumstances or from the unlikeliest of sources. But one day, one day as Elijah's in the widow's house, the widow's son dies. Now God has been preparing, as I said, God has been preparing Elijah for this moment. In his season of cutting away and shaping and molding, God has prepared Elijah for this moment. And what does he do? He raises the widow's son back to life. As I said earlier, embrace the season. Some of you are in that season of isolation. You feel lonely and it's, you feel alone and in the wilderness and God is shaping you and molding you and preparing you so that you can begin to bring dead things back to life in your own life. Embrace the season. Embrace the season. During this time of hiding, God is preparing Elijah for what was to come. And after this season of hiding, God tells Elijah, it's now time to confront Ahab again. Before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word that's in front of us. God, my prayer is that you would begin to cut into our hearts, soften our hearts, begin to mold our hearts for what you have today. 
Give me clarity as I deliver your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So at this point, we are about three years into the drought. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 and 18, we find Ahab and Elijah. And it says, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? In a sense, what is Ahab saying here? This famine? It's your fault. What are you doing here? This is all your fault. People are dying because of this drought and because of this famine, and it's on you. And this is what happens. When we live in sin, when things aren't going our way, and we're in sin, who do we blame? We blame God. We blame God's people. But notice what Elijah says in verse 18. He says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. He tells them they are committing idolatry. They are putting false gods ahead of the one true God. Now, this is where I'm going to teach you for just a moment. Give you a little teaching moment here. I'm going to give you a couple of words that you may or may not heard before. And those words are monotheism and polytheism. As Christians, we believe in monotheism. Monotheism says there is only one God. As Christians, that is what we believe. There's one God and only one way to get to God, and that's through his son, Jesus. We are monotheistic in our belief as Christians. The second word, polytheism, it is the belief that there are many gods. And Elijah was dealing with and confronting a very polytheistic culture where they worshiped many different gods. And while we as Christians, we would say that we are monotheistic in our belief, that we believe in one true God, which is true. We do believe that, right? That's what we say. We believe in one true God. But even though we say that, even though we say we believe in one true God, many of us are living what I would call polytheistic lives. We believe in God, but in reality, we worship and serve many false gods. And now I know we're not worshiping Baal or Asherah, like the people of Israel were, right? People would think we're crazy if we claim to believe in God and worship God, and they see us worshiping a, a false idol like a Baal or an Asherah. But in reality, the gods that we do worship, the false gods we worship and serve today, they're just simply more socially acceptable. And we'll dive into those in just a minute. But today I want us to dig. I want us to dig at this idea of false gods versus the one true God. And more than anything, here's my challenge for you. I want to challenge you, quit wavering between the two. So the question then today is, it's the question we all have to ask ourselves, what are the false gods that you serve? What are the false gods that we put ahead of the one true God? And I know the majority of us would say, look, I don't worship any false gods. Most of us would say that. And I'll be honest with you. I'd like to say the same thing. I would like to think that I don't have any false gods in my life. 
I mean, come on. I'm up here on a stage preaching God's word, doing kingdom work, doing God's work. But sadly, I have to tell you, if I'm being honest, there are some false gods in my life. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail into these, but I want to give you a couple. The first one would be my family. I can make my family a false god when I prioritize them above God. We should prioritize our families. Our families are important. We should love and cherish and take care of our families, but they should never be elevated to a point where we put them above God. When we do, we make them a false god. Second one, my business. I'm a remodeling contractor. I own my own business. And there are times when I can put more energy and effort and time into that business than I do with my time with God. And yes, I need to put time into my business. If I'm going to take care of my family and provide for my family, my business has to be successful. But when I set aside time in the mornings, like my normal routine is, I get up early and I spend time with God and I study and that's when my devotion time is. But there are times, if I'm being honest, when that time gets distracted, I'll start thinking about an estimate I got to finish. Or ah, what do I got to pick up on my way in today to the job site? And I get distracted and I put my business above God and I make it a false God. Numerous different things where I can place priority in those things rather than placing God as a priority and I make those things a false God. So I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. What are some of the false gods that you have put ahead of God in your life. Again, we say we're monotheistic in our belief, meaning we say there is one true God, but our practices are often polytheistic. We serve many gods, many false gods. And Elijah the prophet, he steps into this very polytheistic culture in Israel, and he makes this powerful statement. Let's look at it. He looks at them and says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 19 through 21, he says to the king, now summon all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. Notice, supported by who? Jezebel. Even Elijah knew who the power behind the throne was and where the real trouble lay. It was with the leadership, but it ultimately started with Jezebel. And so... Ahab, this is verse 20. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then verse 21, Elijah's going to stand in front of the people. And he's going to ask this very pointed, piercing question. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? And he says this, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Let that sink in. I love this statement. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. The message translation says this, make up your minds. It's time to choose. It's time to pick a side. And I know this might not be popular and might offend someone, but I want to challenge you. Pick a side. Pick a side. If you want to live for the world, go all in for the world. But if you want to live a Christian life, then go all in for God. Quit wavering between two 
opinions. Quit going back and forth. Quit wavering and pick a side. Revelation chapter three. And by the way, if you haven't picked up on this, I love the book of Revelation. There is a lot. If you just read the seven letters, chapters two and three of Revelation, in those seven letters, there is a lot of truth. And you can learn a lot about who you are and who God wants you to be in those letters. But Revelation chapter three, in the church, in the letter to the church of Laodicea in verses 15 and 16, Jesus says this to them. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. In this letter, Jesus admonishes the church for being lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. Now to understand this, we have to understand what this dichotomy, what this difference between hot and cold is. And I could spend an immense amount of time teaching on this letter, and, but you guys probably don't want to be here till tonight. So um, for the sake of your time, I couldn't do that first service. I could do it this second service because we don't have a time frame. So, but I'll be kind. I won't go there. But just as a quick overview, when you read this letter, you come to understand what hot and cold mean. Jesus is referring to the spiritual condition of the people. Oftentimes people think it's about the deeds, what they do. But if you read carefully, it says, I know your deeds. And it doesn't say they are hot or cold. It says, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. It's about their spiritual condition. Hot being believer, cold being unbeliever. And if that's true, then if that's true, then what does lukewarm represent? Because you can't be both, right? So let's think about it this way. Let's think of it in terms of yes and no. Yes being believer, no being unbeliever. So yes means you're saying yes to Jesus. No, you're saying no to Jesus. So what would lukewarm mean? Well, it's a mixing of the two. Just like water, right? You think of hot water, cold water, you mix, you get what? Lukewarm water. It's a mixing of the two. And really what it is, it's having the appearance of one, but actually the other. Let me explain. Because until you say yes, until you say yes, it's a no. Until you say yes, it's a no. Lukewarm is professing faith in Christ, yet not actually having that faith. Not actually a Christian. And so what is Jesus saying to this church? He's saying, be hot or cold. I think some of us get thrown a little bit because like, why would he want me to be cold? Well, let me explain. He says, either be hot, be a Christian, or be cold. Essentially, you're either a Christian or you're not. Pick one. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. If not, be pagan and proud of it. Be cold. Just don't confess me and live as if I don't exist. Because that church causes many of the problems that we have within our church today. It's people saying I have Jesus, but they live a completely different life. And you know what happens? We end up hurting people. The people that confess Christ and don't truly have him are the ones that end up hurting people and we have people leave the church because of it. It's a bad testimony. Jesus says it's either me or it's not. Pick a side. And look at the language Jesus uses in verse 16. If you want to play both sides, if you want to be lukewarm, what's he say? I will vomit you out of my mouth. Meaning, you don't have what you pretend to have. And for that, you will have no part with me in my kingdom. 
What's interesting is Jesus is saying essentially the exact same thing that Elijah said to the people of Israel. Quit wavering. You can't have God on Sunday morning and then live like the world the rest of the week. And then many, I've heard, you start saying, God, hear my prayers and bless me. But I'm not going to follow your commands. Come on, church. Quit wavering. Quit being a Christian around certain crowds and then being a totally different person around another crowd. Pick a side. Quit wavering. If you're, and here's what I honestly think. If Elijah was here today, here's what he would tell us. If your false God, whatever it is, if your false God is truly God, then sell out to it. Sell out to it. So I want to unmask some of these false gods that we have that have become socially acceptable in our culture. And this is the point where people can tend to get offended. My step on some toes. But can I just take a second and tell you, it's not me stepping on your toes, it's God. If God's convicting you on this, it's not me. This is straight from God and his word. So let's take a moment and unmask some of these false gods that have become socially acceptable. First one, material possessions, stuff. If gathering stuff, if accumulating stuff is really the most important thing, then go all in on it. Go all in on it. Do whatever you have to do to get more stuff. Lie, cheat, steal, beg, borrow, whatever it takes. Go all in on that. Stop giving. Stop being generous. If accumulating stuff is the most important thing, then go all in on that. Another one, your image. If your image is truly God, then don't just kind of do it. Do whatever it takes to make yourself look as good as you possibly can. Get surgery, every enhancement, tuck. So whatever it takes, if looking good is the most important thing, then make it the most important thing. Y'all okay? Next one, sexual pleasure. If that's your God, go for it. Don't let something as small as waiting for marriage stop you. Sleep with whoever you want. Look at whatever you want. Sleep with every man, woman, both. I don't care. Do whatever you want. If that's the most important thing and that is your God, go for it. Last one, reputation. Do whatever it takes to have the best reputation you can. Get social media followers, likes, whatever it takes to get as many as possible. If what other people think about you is the most important thing, then do whatever it takes. Hurt as many people as necessary, life you have to, but if your reputation is the most important thing, then do whatever it takes. Whatever your false God is, if that is the most important thing in the world, and if going all out for that thing is going to impact your life and eternity in the best possible way, then who am I to stand in your way? Go for it. Sell out to it. But if Jesus, if Jesus, the son of God is the one true God. And let me add this in here. He is the only God worth worshiping and serving and the only one who can offer eternal happiness. He is the only one. But if Jesus is the the son of God, if he is the one true God, then quit wavering and serve him with all of your heart. Don't just claim you know him and then live as if he doesn't exist. Stop doing the world things Monday through Saturday and then come to church and do the God thing on Sunday. Serve him all 
the time. How long are we going to waver between two opinions? Let's look back at Elijah. Verse 23. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and, I'll, and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Now verse 24. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Now, I can't say for certain, but these people had to think Elijah was a little off his rocker, that he'd gone a little crazy. Do you guys know who Baal is? He's the God of fire. He's the sun God. The God of, he has just challenged the God of fire to a fire-making contest. They had to be thinking that this is a poor choice on Elijah's part and that he's going to end up looking like a fool in this moment because they honestly believed that these gods could do what they said they could do. And so they're like, dude, don't you know this, this is the God of fire? That's what he does? And you're going to challenge him? But look at verse 26. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noontime. It says they danced and shouted. They said, oh, Baal, answer us. But the Bible says there was no response. No one answered. There was no reply of any kind. And so Elijah, he starts messing with a little bit. He's going to start taunting him a little bit. Look what it says in verse 27. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip. Where's the sleep and needs to be awakened? He's like, dude, maybe your god's out on a bathroom break. Maybe you need to go wake him up. Maybe he's sleeping. Or why don't you check his flight itinerary? See if he's on vacation somewhere. Just figure out where's your god at? Maybe you need to shout louder. So look what they do. In verse 28, they shout louder. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives, knives and swords until blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, and no response. Sadly, and hear me, many of us in this room, we've been dancing around and worshiping our false gods for as long as we can remember and we continually waver between two opinions. And that's what I'm challenging today. Quit wavering. Quit dancing. Stop trying to get the attention of your false gods and serve fully the one true God. And so finally, at the end of the day, they've danced, they've cut themselves, and nothing happens. In Elijah, in verse 36, let's look at what it says. He steps forward and he prays. No dancing, no shouting. He doesn't cut himself. Remember, Elijah's already been through the, seating, the season of cutting in the Kareth Ravine. He's, he's already had a cutting away, but it wasn't a physical cutting. He didn't have to. God had already spiritually cut him and shaped him and molded him and prepared him. He doesn't have to do everything he can to get the attention of God. He simply 
praise. It says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and you have brought them back to yourself. And do you see the power and the beauty in these statements? Answer me, O Lord, reveal, your, reveal yourself, show us who you are. And then that phrase, so that these people will know that you are God. He says that they will know that you are God. It's not like this, hey, I know that guy. I've met him once or twice. No, it's, it means to know him deep down in your heart to have an intimate relationship with him. What Elijah's saying here is like, they used to know you a little bit, but help them discover who you really are and help them turn their hearts back to you. And as I read that, man, that's, that's honestly my prayer for you guys. That we would all truly know him on a deep and intimate level. Look what happens in verse 38. Elijah prays, and it says, immediately, 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 the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And I so look forward to that day when we would all see him for who he is and that all of the false gods in our lives would fall far and away in comparison to the one true God. My challenge again today is quit wavering. Pick a side. There's one part of the story I left out. I kind of skipped over. When Elijah put his bull on the altar... Three different times he told him, go get buckets of water. And he dumped water on his altar over the bull. He's challenged the God of fire who has been silent. And he took an impossible situation where no fire should burn. And God brought the fire. God showed who he truly is. And it just shows how much Baal paled in comparison to who God really is. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.